Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. In our last program, we concluded the ninth article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. Today, we'll conclude our presentation on the Apostles' Creed with the 10th, 11th, and 12th articles. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in life everlasting. All found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. These are the in brief statements. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The Creed puts in relation the forgiveness of sins with a profession of faith in the Holy Spirit. There's no forgiveness of sins without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the soul of the church, the Holy Spirit, by which we say, Abba, Father, and Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the one who forgives us our sins through baptism, original sin which we inherit, and any sins we've committed to that time, and in the sacrament of penance, for those sins we sadly commit after our baptism. In effect, the risen Christ has confided to the apostles the power to pardon, to forgive sins, when he gave them the Holy Spirit. Remember, he breathed on them in that upper room. Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you hold bound are held bound. Well, how would the apostles or their successors or their collaborators know what to bind or to loose, to forgive or to hold bound, unless we tell them? And that's the sacrament of penance, but there will be a whole program on that, I'm sure. Baptism is the first and principal sacrament for the forgiveness of sins. It, baptism, unites us to Christ, dead and risen, and gives us the Holy Spirit. We're made temples of the Holy Spirit by our baptism. But we expel the Spirit of God. We ex rupture our relationship with God by our sin. The Lord heals that rupture through His grace, given us through his sacraments in his church. By the will of Christ, the church proposes, by the will of Christ, the church possesses the power to pardon the sins of the baptized. If one has not been baptized, one cannot receive the absolution in the sacrament of penance. And Mother Church exercised this power to pardon sins by bishops and priests in a habitual fashion in the sacrament of penance. These are the ordinary means of salvation. In the remission of sins, the priest and the sacraments are the pure instruments of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unique author and dispenser of our salvation, willed well to serve to efface our iniquities and to give us the grace of justification. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the Catechism of the Second Vatican Council, cites an earlier catechism, the so-called Roman Catechism, or the Catechism Ad Parocos of the Council of Trent. It said that the Catechism of the Council of Trent was very strong on the sacraments because that's what was being denied back in that era, that time period. In our day, it seems people won't fuss too much over the sacraments, but they fuss moreover on what it is we believe. How beautiful to see the complementarity between the old catechism and the new here.
What was sacred then is sacred now. What was true then is true now, no less. This is the traditio apostolorum, the tradition of the apostles, whose successors are still in our midst, in the persons of the bishops. That's the tenth article of the creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The eleventh article of the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. The flesh is the pivot of salvation, so said St. Ignatius of Antioch in his letter to the Romans. Remember, it was in Antioch that Christians were first called Christians. We read about that in the Acts of the Apostles. And elsewhere in the writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch, Christians were first called Catholics in Antioch. Here, St. Ignatius of Antioch, one of the fathers of the church, a successor to St. Peter there, tells us that flesh is the pivot of all salvation. We believe in God, who is the creator of flesh. We believe in the Word made flesh to redeem the flesh. We believe in the resurrection of the flesh, achieved in the creation and redemption of the flesh. And in the Eucharist, we receive the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, flesh and blood like us in all things but sin, to save us from our sins. By death, the soul is separated from the body, but in the resurrection, God gives incorruptible life to our transformed body in reuniting our soul. The same as Christ is risen and lives forever, all of us will rise on the last day. This is an article of faith. These are all articles of faith, the twelve articles of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the true resurrection of this body that we now possess, so said the Second Council of Lyon, 1274. Then, sown in the tomb, a corruptible body, it rises, an incorruptible body. So wrote St. Paul in his inspired first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 42, a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15, 44. As a consequence of original sin, we are under bodily death to which we would have been immune had we not sinned. So says the Second Vatican Council in its pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world, Gaudium et Spes, Article 18. See also the Book of Wisdom from the Old Testament, chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, as well as St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 21, and chapter 6, verse 23. See also the letter of St. James, chapter 1, verse 15. There are several consequences of original sin, which we went over earlier in the article on God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Suffering, death, ignorance, and a tendency to do evil. These are all consequences of original sin. Jesus, the Son of God, has freely suffered death for us in total, and free submission to the will of God his Father. By his death he has vanquished death, opening also to all men, women and children, boys and girls of every age, the possibility of salvation. And not only the possibility, but its reality. For those who cooperate with his grace, for those who accept his lordship and act accordingly. 
The twelfth article of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in everlasting life. Some would ask, what's the point? Well, the point of creation, the point of redemption, the point of faith, why believe, is all wrapped up in this last article. I believe in everlasting life. Each of us will have eternity. We all want, on our better days, to have a blessed eternity with God on high. There is another side to eternity to which, please God, none of us desire, and that is eternal death, hell. Each man and his immortal soul will receive his eternal retribution, payback if you like, at his death in a particular judgment by Christ, the judge of the living and the dead. This reminds us that there are two judgments, the particular judgment, when I die, and the last or the final judgment, that's at the end of time. That's when the first verdict is not overturned, but just made public, so we'll all know. We're certain about the canonized, that they're in heaven with God. But the jury's out on so many others. Mother Church never says so-and-so's in hell. She knows the devil is there, although he prowls the world, seeking whom he will to devour. But Mother Church never said Pol Pot or Idi Amin or Adolf Hitler or Bonitti Mussolini or whichever of your bad guys you prefer to mention. Never said any of them is in hell. Although if we die in our sins without repentance, that's where we go. We believe that the souls of all those who die in the grace of Christ are the people of God, populi dei, on the other side of death, which will be definitively vanquished on the day of the resurrection when the souls will be reunited with their bodies. So said Pope Paul VI in his solemn profession of faith, Article 28, after the Second Vatican Council. This reminds us that the saints who are in heaven, St. Denis, patron of Paris, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, patroness of the missions, their souls are in heaven with God, but their bodies and relics are here still on earth. We believe that the multitude of the ones who are gathered around Jesus and Mary in paradise form the church of heaven where in eternal beatitude they see God as he is and where they are also in diverse degrees, associated with the holy angels and the divine government, exercised by Christ in glory, in interceding for us and aiding our weakness by their fraternal solicitude. Here again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church cites Pope Paul VI's solemn profession of faith, Article 29, the multitude of the ones, more than any could count, forming the church of heaven and paradise, Jesus and Mary. This reminds us that the church is not just those people in the pew with us on Sunday, or the people with whom we work to feed the hungry and clothe the naked on the streets here and now. No, the church also includes all the blessed on high, all the saints. And in a certain sense, it's a majority already in heaven. There are only so many of us on the face of the earth today. 
how many saints in heaven already? So not only is there the church in heaven, but the church on earth and the church being purified in purgatory. The diverse degrees reminds us that Our Lady, the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, who never gave in to sin in her life, she is the greatest of the saints, always helping her Son and Savior, who is our Savior too, in his earthly life. John the Baptist, while he died a martyr's death, perhaps had one or another or several sins. St. Paul, who gave his life for Christ, likewise, we know, cooperated in the martyrdom of St. Stephen. The scripture tells us that. So perhaps, of course, in God's justice, Our Lady has a better place in heaven. But St. Paul did do a lot of good, and St. Paul did repent his sins. So... He has a great place in heaven. God used him as an instrument in the writing of all those letters, in the founding of all those churches, in the spreading of the gospel. His place will be greater than mine, I'm sure, if I should ever get to heaven in God's mercy, for which I pray. Those who die in the grace and friendship of God, but imperfectly purified, are well assured of their eternal salvation. They suffer after their death a purification so as to obtain the holiness necessary to enter into the joy of God. The sacred scripture does not use the word purgatory, but that's what this reality is. Remember when the Lord Jesus speaks to us about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. This sin will not be forgiven either in this world or in the next. When the Lord Jesus mentions this world or the next, in relation to forgiveness of the sin against the Holy Spirit, it is not to say that there aren't other sins which might be forgiven in the next. And this is where the Church sees references to purgatory among other passages of the sacred text, almsgiving covering a multitude of sins. It is a good and noble thing to pray for the dead. We learn this from the Maccabees. In virtue of the communion of saints, the Church recommends the dead to the mercy of God. Any of us who get to heaven only get to heaven in the mercy of God, made manifest in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which we proclaim until he comes in glory. Mother Church offers in the favor of the dead suffrages, that is, prayers, interceding for them, in particularly the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the Eucharist. Do this in memory of me. And we do it in memory of our brothers and sisters who likewise have eaten the body and blood of the Lord, who have received that seed of eternal life, which is the Eucharist, Christ who dies no more, Christ who died to save us. We pray to him who is the Lord, one with the Father and the Spirit, to bring our brethren to himself even as he brought his own mother to himself at the end of her earthly life. Following the example of Christ, the church warns the faithful, that's us who believe, we are the faithful, of the sorrow and lamentable reality of eternal death, also called hell. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing the Directorum Catechetum Generale, the General Catechetical Directory, Article 69. 
Nobody likes to talk about hell, or at least we shouldn't. But we should also not want to go there. But whenever we sin, whenever we prefer our vices and evil conduct to God's grace and mercy and call to holiness, we're paving the path to hell. Not just good intentions, the road leading to hell, but poor choices, acting badly. The Lord Jesus reminds us of the fires of Gehenna. He reminds us about the fires prepared for the devil and his minions, where we don't want to go, where he does not want us to go. God does not will the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live, and live fully in Christ. And the greatest living in Christ is with him on high forever. The principal punishment of hell consists in the eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can have life and happiness for which he was created and to which he aspires. So often we may fixate on the fires of hell or the pitchfork of the devil or you read the great poetry of Dante Alighieri, or see the beautiful paintings of Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. And we can thank God for this passage of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which will not deny all those other uh, presentations or representations of the punishments of hell. But here we're reminded that the principle, the main, you could say the worst, punishment of hell consists in the eternal separation from God. I don't want to have a pitchfork in my hindquarters. I don't want to be burned forever. But those punishments pale in comparison to this principal punishment, being separated from the God who made me, for whom I was made, for whom I live and move and have my being, God forbid I go to hell, at least then and there I will know that I should have repented. Then and there I will know that I was made for heaven. And that will be the biggest regret for all eternity. Gnawing. May I not suffer it, and may you not either. May we all seek and receive the mercy of Jesus Christ here and now. May we receive the grace he won on Calvary's height and by his life of holy obedience. May we be zealous in spreading faith in him, love for him, and love for neighbor and for God the Father Almighty in the Holy Spirit. Then eternity will go well with us. Then the day of judgment will go well with us. We will hear those beautiful, happy words, Come share your master's joy, blessed of my Father. The church prays that no one will be lost. Lord, do not permit that I may always be separated from you. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is citing one of the quiet prayers a priest prays before he receives Holy Communion as well as the Anima Christe prayer attributed to St. Ignatius of Loyola. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me.
Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me and keep me close to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. From the evil one, protect me. At the hour of my death, call me and keep me close to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Anima Christi, never permit me to be separated from you. Separation from the Lord in time by sin. Separation from the Lord for all eternity by eternal damnation. This is our prayer that none be lost. This is the prayer of the Lord Jesus. It is true that no one can save himself. It is true also that God wants that all be saved. See St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 4. And that for God all things are possible. See St. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 26. The Second Council of Lyon taught, as does the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that the most holy Roman Church believes and confesses firmly that in the day of judgment, that's the end of time, all men, women, children, boys and girls of every age will appear with their proper body, remember, that which will rise on the last day, before the tribunal of Christ to render account for their proper acts. What good I have done, what evil I have avoided, what evil I have repented, we're referred to St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 9 through 12, and the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. So while the Catechism says the Most Holy Roman Church believes and confesses this firmly, here we are in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we no less confess and firmly believe these things because we are united with the Bishop of Rome, the successor of St. Peter, to whom were entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is the second judgment, the final judgment. It does not reverse the sentence of the first judgment or the particular judgment, when I die. We can sing that country song all we want. When I die, I may not go to heaven. I don't know if they like cowboys in. We want to go to heaven. We'll only get there in God's mercy, for which we pray. At the end of time, the kingdom of God will arrive in its plenitude. This reminds us that the kingdom of God is already present, really present, present in the person of Christ the King who walked the face of the earth, present in Christ the King, present in the Eucharist, present in his mystical body, which is Mother Church. But here we're reminded that the kingdom of God will arrive in its plenitude, in its fullness, when God will be all in all at the end of time. Then the just will reign with Christ forever. 
Who are the just? Those are the saints. Those are the blessed. Those are the ones who have been justified by grace and faith, cooperating with the plan of God, doing his will here on earth, even as it is done in heaven. The just will reign with Christ forever, glorified in body and soul. Their souls are already there, those who have already died, the just. Their bodies rejoin the souls on the last day, better than the great vision of Ezekiel of the dry bones coming back to life, sinew and marrow strapping together, the bones rattling, coming back to life in the presence of the Lord of life. And the material universe itself will be transformed at the end of time. God will then be all in all. See St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 28. In eternal life, we believe in life everlasting, life without end. Our souls are immortal. That means they do not die. But our souls are not eternal. They have not always existed awaiting our conception by our parents. Our parents give the body the matter, but it is God Almighty who gives the soul. You're unrepeatable. There will never be another you. There will never be another me. The mold has been broken. We need to be the saints we have been called to be. We already have a Martin of Tours or a Martin de Pours or a John Napomacene Neumann, or a Rose of Lima. We have already had a Rose Philippine Duchenne, or Louis Neuf, Roi de France. How many saints throughout the ages? Now our turn. Now they intercede for us on high. We long to join them. We honor them because they're the friends of God. And we want to join them on high in worshiping the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In four hours, I have presented the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed as treated in the in-brief statements of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. These eight segments are a summary of all that the Church believes for millennia. Christians have been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, having answered in the affirmative to questions based on this creed. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Yes, I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, who will come again to judge living and the dead? Yes, I do. I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? Yes, I do. Amen. I believe. This is our faith. We are proud to profess it through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the saving waters are poured. But we cannot make the affirmation, yes, I do believe. Amen. So be it. Unless we know our godparents can speak for us if we are but infants. And if we were baptized as infants, we need to apply ourselves all the more to know our faith as well as we can. It is my prayer that these presentations have been an aid to you, even as they have helped me to grow deeper in my faith.
Anytime we reflect on the saving mysteries, on the mysteries of our salvation, we allow the good God to work in us, to work on us. In the next programs, I will present the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church, the seven sacraments of the Lord Jesus, as found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.